passages we looked at last week, and I want to revisit them again. Galatians chapter 6 and then uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Those songs uh, we sang today, we focused on the wonder, the wonder of God, and the wonder of who He is and what He's done for us, and then about serving the Lord and the importance of, of being a servant. We do not serve and serve well because we hesitate sometimes taking the low place. When I uh, was in junior high school, now they call it middle school, uh, it was 7th through the ninth grade, and high school was 10th through the 12th. And then in uh, some time along my 11th or 12th grade, they put the ninth grade uh, in, and then they put the 6th grade up with middle school. And my sister began to go to school with me in the ninth grade, and um, then attended uh, school with me there at Butler High School. But I attended a Stone Junior High School. Now it's a brewery. It's more than that. There are some other things there. About a year ago, maybe some nine months ago, Paula and I uh, walked through my old school. And I, I showed her various classes that I had and, and so forth. And it was it was wonderful for me to have those memories. And then I walked through the gym uh, where I had physical education and I walked on the football field where I played football and then where I played basketball there in the gym. And, and the tile is still there, the, the gym floor, not the tile, but the gym flooring. One of my teammates that I played with in basketball was one of the best players in the city. In fact, he went on to start uh, his sophomore year at Butler High School and uh, was all city and was uh, one of the best pure shooters that I ever played basketball with. He became, his name was Roger Berry. His two older brothers played basketball at Butler. So Roger had some some, some good seed in him, man. He, he, his brothers taught him, but he was quite a player. He looked like, uh, now for some of you, you may know who this is, but the older folks will know, um, uh, Pete Maravich or Pistol Pete. I mean, he looked like him, and he could shoot. The lights out. Now, back then, we didn't have a three-point line. Uh, we we could only get two points for every basket, or I would have been all city. No, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, Roger got a full full scholarship. I was there the night. I didn't play high school uh, basketball. I, I played football, and not nor could I have. I, I was not uh, good enough to play high school basketball. But I was there the night, uh, went to most basketball games. I loved Roger. He's a pastor now, um, up, up just in South Tennessee, and we still stay in touch. He and his wife have been to church here a number of times just visiting. But I was there the night when uh, Butler played Huntsville High School, and Roger scored 42 points. And again, that was without a, a three-point line or anything like that. So anyhow, we were goofing off one day, just not even at practice, and uh, Roger said, let, let, me, let, let me show you how to uh, shoot better. And I don't know why he said that, but uh, <laughs> it had to do more with technique, actually. He said, let, let me show you something with technique. And it had to do with, with the way you hold your elbow and things like this. And so uh, he, he gave me some corrections and some adjustments, and it required some practice. But I became a better free throw shooter. I became a better jump shot uh, Shooter, not not because I was great, but because I applied what someone that was better at it told me. 
And here's why I told you that little story. Because God has not left you here to guess how to live the Christian life. That's one of the reasons we have life group is to equip you and to help you and to bless you. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us teachers. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to help us. And so the Word of God is not just a a book of instruction. The Bible is also a book of redemption. And it's a book of a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, that came to pour His His grace out upon us uh, to save us and to enable us, not just so that we could... uh, Uh, obey in a a dry manner, but so that we could desire to obey. Um, Next next to the home, uh, the most important institution in the world is the local church. And I believe that. There are basically four institutions, as I understand the Bible, uh, the home, the church, uh, the government, and employment. And employment is indirectly mentioned. The first institution mentioned in the Word of God, is the home. The second is government. And, uh, and then you have the church. And God places a high value upon the local church. I came across this uh, written by a Christian writer years ago, and I, th- I thought it was interesting. I want you to listen to this uh, carefully. It's not long. I don't like to read things, but I'll read from this because it's not, not very long. Uh, can you all hear me good back there? You good to go? Very good. Thank you. And here's what the writer said. When I was little, we used to play church. I've heard of people doing that. Now, uh, we didn't play church. I, I guess it would be a good thing. Now, we did play baptism. we go down at the lake. we baptize each other. That's about all. Uh, we weren't good preachers. Uh, but this writer said, when I was little, we used to play church. We'd get chairs into rows, and we would fight over who would be the preacher. Vigorously lead the hymn singing and generally have a great carnal time. Little kids. The aggressive kids naturally wanted to be up front. Directing, preaching, and so forth. The quieter ones were content to sit and be entertained by the up fronters. Occasionally we'd be mesmerized by a true sensationalist crowd swear. But in general, if the upfronters were pretty good, they could hold their audience quite a while. If they weren't so good, eventually the kids would drift off to play something else like jump rope jacks or hide or seek. But now that generation has grown up. Most of them haven't changed too much, though. Every Sunday they still play church. They line up in rows for the entertainment. If it's pretty good, their church may grow. If it's not too hot, eventually they'll drift off to play something else. And I read that and I thought, that's, that's very tragic, but it's more true than tragic. Now, God gave us a Bible to instruct us and to help us, but He also gave him Himself, gave us Himself through the Spirit of God, not just to uh, interpret the Bible and read the Bible and understand the Bible, but to give us the desire and the ability to obey the Bible. 
And one of the areas that the Bible speaks about is how to conduct ourselves within our assembly. When we gather together, it tells us what to do. And, and the mindset that we're to have when we gather together. Now, here's the text. I want you to look at this carefully, if you would. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, I'll just make a few comments about it because I've already done so. But one more time, Galatians six ten, As we have therefore opportunity, as we have opportunity, and the therefore goes back to sowing and reaping. Let us do good unto all men. Lost, saved, everyone. Do good. Especially unto them who are in the household of faith. The Bible says we're to do good works. We're to do good to everybody. But we're to have a special focus unto people who are the household of faith. Who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what the Bible teaches. That when you serve your brothers and sisters in Christ... It strengthens the church, but it strengthens you. And the Bible here commands us that as we have opportunity, we're supposed to do good. God wants to use you to bless your church. Now, now listen carefully. When I say the church, I'm not talking about the structure. I'm talking about the people. Every week, every day, you can, you can have a vital part in being a blessing to your church. But let me take it a step further. Every week and every day, you have a responsibility to bless your church. And that's what I want to talk to you to this, about this morning is uh, how to bless your church, how you can bless your church. What are some ways, when the Bible says here, to do good under the household of faith? How, how can you strengthen your church, our church, these people beside you and, and those that are not here And other believers too. Uh, Notice in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 24 and 25, you may want to underline some things here. It's very clear for us. And you'll see he's talking about the gathering together. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there are three ways given that you can affect and influence your church. I want to say this. All of these have to do with a mindset before they're in action. In other words, you will not be a, a, you will not serve if you do not have the mindset of a servant. It's futile for me to talk about serving if you're not a servant. And so these ways, before their actions, before you will do them, you have to have a mindset. You have to think about these things. The first one is in verse 24, let us consider one another. We serve by considering others. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to rehash it. But only to say this, that, that focusing on in, 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 a, in a very clear way, an intentional way, is something that only the Holy Spirit can help you to do over the long haul. The word consider means to give a careful focus. You're very intentional. You have a mindset for it. And after a while, uh, you get good at it. There's a discipline to it, but also the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And you get eyes and ears for that. We serve by considering others. Number two, we serve by motivating others. You can be a motivator. 
and not not what the world says. And I, w- I want to show you the distinction here. We serve by motivating others. Now, if I were to talk to you, in fact, uh, Brother Bill was talking here about um, how, how to study the Bible, and we talk a lot about about leadership. And there on Wednesday nights, and leadership is always internal. Uh, you don't you don't lead from a position. You don't lead from from your name uh, or from an opportunity. Uh, leadership. J. Oswald Sanders wrote a great book called Spiritual Leadership. It's an old classic, and one of his definitions in there for spiritual leadership is that leadership is influence. But here's what I've learned, myself included. The majority of people believe they are not leaders because they've accepted a wrong definition. Uh, for example, if you're if you're uh, in school, you're in public school or Christian school for that matter, or university, whatever, and I talk to you about you need to be a leader there. You say, well, I, I don't have a platform. I don't have a position. No, no, that's not leadership. Leadership is influence. Most of the time, the leader is not the person with the position, it's the person with the influence. In fact, often the person with the influence gets promoted to that place, but leadership is is influence. Every person can be an influence. Now, you're not to strive, here's what I believe, you're not to strive for the position, but I think you, you ought to want to be and influence. Now, you, you serve by motivating others. Now, let me show it to you. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 24. Let us consider one another, and here it is, to provoke. To provoke. Now, that is a very interesting word. Uh, it, it even has the idea of inciting. I-N-C-I-T. You, you hear the word, uh, the crowd was incited to violence. And it's used in a negative sense. It means motivated. But here it is. It's not external motivation. It's internal motivation. And we we are to motivate. We're to stir up other people. Now watch this. This word is so powerful. Provoking. Provoke. Have have you ever uh, provoked your brother or sister when you were little? Or they provoked you? You get the negative connotation? until you couldn't stand it any longer. Here's the idea. It is a necessary response. But if you read the text, look at this. To provide, Sometimes I hear this preacher say, yeah, we, we need to, to provoke people in the church. And I think, wait, wait, read, read the text. You're, you're not to be that kind of person where you're going around and, oh, here he comes, here she comes. No. You're provoking them, look, unto, read the text, unto love and to good works, it, it is a you, you are a motivator that demands a response. And do you know what the response is? They love God, they love people more, and they serve more. That's the response. It's not that they're agitated. Now, it, it has the idea of, of, of being stirred that demands a response. But it's not that they dread seeing you coming. Barnabas was like this. He motivated people to love people, to love God more, to serve God. You can study the Word of God on that. Sometimes we provoke to irritation and hatred. This is a motivation from kindness, 
from consideration. That's why the Bible says, let us consider one another unto provoking. So the two kind of go together. We consider one another, we focus, and, and, and while we're focusing in order to help them, what we do is we do that in order to motivate them so they will love more, they'll love deeper and broader, and they will do good works. Now listen to this. These two words that are paired, this is not obligatory, dutiful, dry obedience. This is, this is love. This is service motivated by love. Now here's the difference. And I've tried to catch myself with this through the years. Not in a legalistic way, but in a heartfelt way. Where, have you ever said something as well, well, I've got to go to church today. And I would find myself saying that, well, I have to do something. And I would try to correct myself and say, well, I get to go to church. Again, not legalistic, because you can say that and not mean it. But I want to I mean that. I get to, do, I get to read the Bible. I get to preach. I get to do these things. One day I won't be able to. One day I'll preach my last sermon. One day I'll do these things. And God has, has enabled me and called me and privileged me. Something I never thought I would get to do. How dare I have just this dutiful spirit. And by the way, He's done the same for you. How dare we, we be dutiful about the service of God. And do you know what we need sometimes? We need, we need someone that has focused on us. They've considered us. And then the Bible says here that they, they provoke us, not, brother, you're, you're just indifferent. You don't, you're, and I've heard it preached that way sometimes. It's kind of a, I'm going to twist your nose. No, no, it's provoking unto love into good works. I'll show you, I'll show you how that goes in a minute. But here's what I want to see. There's a difference between Dry obedience and just going through the motions, just doing what you're supposed to. Let me put it this way. There's a difference in loving God and playing church. In coming to church and blessing people and just playing at something. Because after the show's over, you get tired of it pretty soon. You just drift away to something else. To another show. Now, here's what Paul said about the Thessalonians. He made this distinction in First Thessalonians one three. He said, "Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love." He said this a lot. I'm just going to show you two. He said, "I remember your work of faith and your labor of love. Your labor of love, not your labor." Uh, those of you that are parents, you understand what it is to have a labor of love. I mean, it's costly. Why did he repeat himself there? Because faith does work. That's a point. But those are different words. The word work there refers to the external product product or the project. You look at this auditorium and this was a work. And people painted these beams and, and laid the carpet and... People selected the lights and, and hours and hours and hours. That, that was the work. 
The word labor there, the, the, the Greek word has the idea of the toil and the sweat that was involved in the process. And, and that only God can see that. Years ago, uh, my daughter Ashley in Houston, she, she put up a, a little, uh, one of these little graphs people put up on um, Facebook and said, it said, I know this is true about my dad. And it had an iceberg, and it had the tip of the iceberg, and then underneath it had this big bottom that you can't see. And right up at the top it said, the sermon. And underneath it said, the study. You see, you, you, you see that much, but God, God sees the rest. And God's concerned about the labor. And listen... You'll get a reward for the work, but you'll get a greater reward for the labor. Not just in the church, but, but for your parenting, for, for what you do at your job. Listen, your job is not just where you earn your income. Your job is your ministry. It's where you have your evangelism. God didn't just put you in that community of people. You're going to be held accountable for your for your influence, your spiritual influence, or lack thereof one day. Paul said, I remember your work. I saw what you guys did. Been to th- wow. But I remember your, your labor because I was a part of that. He talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 2. And then may I show you in Hebrews 6, and I think Paul wrote this, but the idea here is the same. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. And labor of love. They're the same words in the Greek. God will not forget your work. The visible part. The product. But God won't forget the labor. All the sweat and toil. When you wondered, is it worth it? Now this is interesting to me. God is not righteous. What does that imply? It's unrighteous to forget. And we do forget. And listen listen carefully. The first word is to consider. Hebrews 10, 24, consider one another. But God doesn't, God doesn't forget. And the opposite of cons- considering is forgetting. And you will not have this influence, the Bible says here, to provoke, to motivate. Not to agitate, but to move people to love and to do good works. Now, how do you do this? Here's the question. This is the million-dollar question. How do you motivate and stir people to do more for God? How do you do that? Well, I know what you do is you go to them. And I'm not against this. Please understand, I don't think this is wrong. But it doesn't motivate anybody. As you come to them and say, okay, these are the requirements. These are the expectations. Okay. Sometimes you need that. Uh, I give our staff a, a position description. That, that doesn't motivate anybody. It's, it's a blank piece of paper. It, it's, it's dutiful. These are your duties. Expectations. It doesn't stir anything in me. It's just, it becomes a dry obedience. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just when you think, well, 
I've got this list for my kids. That's not motivating. How do you motivate people and stir them up to do more for God, to love God, to love people, and to do good works? Listen carefully. You motivate and stir people up by your servant's heart. By your heart, by who you are. And by when you have that heart, it's by what you do. That's what the Bible says. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Because you are loving and because you are doing good works, you're loving them unconditionally. You're loving them graciously. You're loving your Father you, you are, I don't want to say agitating, you are inciting in them. I don't mean like that word. You're stirring them up. I want some of that. I want that contentment. I want that joy. They have a peace. They, they care for people. I don't have that. You, you do not need a position to influence people. You inf- listen, you influence people through the heart of service. Christian service is is serving. Jesus led through serving. I've taught this. In fact, on Wednesday night, I mentioned this a number of times. In, in the Christian realm, in fact, I think in the secular realm, ultimately, even though people aren't saved, they're led this way. Uh, ultimately, service is leadership. Ultimate leadership is always conferred. It must be conferred. And it's not conferred by you saying, hey, I got the position. I'm the head coach. You have to listen to me. I'm your daddy. You have to listen. I'm the pastor. I got a heavy hand. That's, this is not what it means to provoke. You, you better love me. You better obey me. You better love God. You better do something. That, that doesn't do anything. You consider them. You think about them. You think about their needs. You think about their broken heart. I mean, even even this week, I, I don't have time to go into it. There was some situation where somebody had some deep brokenness, and and they don't go to our church, but they're Christians, and I I felt like I needed to walk in. My wife graciously uh, helped helped to speak into my life about something. And then there was another situation that yesterday I had an appointment for, and I was about to get involved with that. And she said, are you sure you need to do that? So you're, you're really tired, and and uh, you've got a lot to do. And, and so I backed out of it. But I didn't want to. Listen, I delight in this. I delight in helping people, not so I can make announcements about it, but I'm drawn. I'm drawn to these these people that are hurting and broken. Not so they'll tell anybody. But there are so there are so many people that just need somebody to care about him and to walk with them, and even even in a church our size. Listen, I, I can't, it, it's not just administratively, listen, listen to my heart. It's not just administratively, but even caring. Uh, um, and, and I speak for Daniel, we can't carry the caring load. Uh, 
It is enormous. And I say this graciously. I don't, I don't mean it in a scathing way or in an ugly way. But you wouldn't know that if you don't consider. If you're not considerate and you're not thinking, you know what, I never thought about that. But when you begin to think and you begin to weigh things, say, wow, that, that's a lot. I'm not talking about being pastor. I'm just talking about in the church, just in this church. And the burdens, never underestimate the power of the life of a humble servant. And they're all over. Listen, when, when I was preparing this, I, I, I wept. And I began to think of names of people in this church who are precious to God and they're precious to me because of who you are. I, I thought about one man that had influenced my life uh, when I was a teenager, and I've told the story, but it's been a long time. Um, we had a men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about um, really how to have influence with people, and Moses didn't think he had any influence. He had a speech impediment. He had a slow tongue, slow of speech. And the Hebrew word there indicates he, he, he stuttered. And I said, uh, I gave him notice. I said, I want you to think about somebody that's influenced you. And uh, Brother Mike Hall raised his hand and he talked about a man named Brother Mac. And some of you don't know who that is. Most of you don't know. Matt got saved out of a life of drunkenness. And uh, he worked hard with his hands. He worked outside. He worked for a construction company. And and I'm telling you, he, I mean, he was tan. And he stayed tan all of his life. It was so deep and breaded in him. And he had hard, leathery skin. But Mac was very tender. And and one day he had a position at the church, but he the position was conferred upon him. He was not an educated man. And he his influence at the church was tremendous. It was incredible. People still talk about him. In fact, uh, my best friend David, his grave is about uh, about 50 yards away from Mac. So every March, and sometimes more often, I'll, I'll visit when the day that David died. Uh, I'll go visit his grave and think about him. This is part of considering. Now, if you don't do this, that's fine. You can do it another way. But it helps. It helps keep my heart tender. And I'll walk over and I'll, I'll look at Mac. His grave and his wife's. I played the piano at his funeral. July, I think third week of July sometime, 1977. He had cancer and passed away. But he, he influenced with his heart. He, he used to come to me, and I was bigger than he was. I was taller. Mac was short, but he, he was a stocky guy. But I was taller and a little bigger. And he always called me little buddy. Isn't that funny? I always think about Gilligan's Island, you know, except he was, Alan Hale was big. But he'd say, hey, little buddy. He'd call me little buddy. And he'd say, uh, hey, little buddy, you want to go on visitation with me? 
I'd say, uh, no, no, thank you, Mac. Now, I, I was witnessing at school, but I, I said, no, I, I won't go today. But Mac, Mac, listen carefully. Are you listening? He considered me. I, I was in his scope. I, I was in his lens. And, and, and he provoked me. He didn't agitate. He loved me. And he had a vision for my life. My daddy, my daddy would ask me to go. I'd say, no, Dad, I don't, I don't want to go tonight. And then one time I could take you to the church where this happened. Hey, little buddy, you want to go? And I couldn't tell him no. I said, yes. And then a few minutes later, I said, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, we showed up. He had this little, I don't know, Mike knows what it was, but a little car. I, I don't even know how it fit in. I, I got my body in there, a little tiny thing. And, and we went, we went visiting. And he influenced my life. You say, he taught you evangelistic methods. No. Nope. I watched Mac. I watched him. I watched him sit down and I watched his passion. I watched his focus. I watched his burden. And I watched him leave a couch and go over to someone in Neo with his sincerity. That's a good word, sincerity. And I watched him sitting on couches. I watched tears roll down his face. Now, I already, I already loved him, but man, I thought, this man is real. This man is real. J.G. McAnally touched my life, and I could bring dozens, and used to scores, and maybe I still could, but... He's been gone for a long time, and that generation's many of them are gone. But he touched my life. And the Bible says that he considered me, and he provoked me, he motivated me. Where I loved God, and I loved people more. And I, I did more good works of serving God, and I became a better servant of the Lord. Now, I have more here, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop right here because I think this is where the Lord wants me to stop. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching. I want to ask you a question, though, as you as you think about this this issue of consideration and motivation. What kind what kind of mindset do you have during the week? Are you are you always thinking about your burdens? Are you thinking about your financial problems? Are you thinking about your your stuff? Do you ever think about anybody in this room besides you and your family? This is consideration. Your mindset, when you walk here, when you get up on Sundays, do you think about, okay, um, when I go in, it's not about me. I hope somebody notices me. I hope they'll like this. This is new. No, no. Do you think, okay, I I need to focus on, on some people that are discouraged. I need to focus on some people that have potential and speak hope in their life. I think God could use you. 
And then are you motivating people? Are, are, you, are you being an example of a servant to them as you, as you walk the walk, as you talk the talk? I read a story this week. I talked to you. I opened the message about playing church. And I think I'm reading to you about what we're supposed to do in church. He talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. When we assemble, this is the way we behave. But we don't behave this way because it's not in our mind. It's not a mindset. I read about, this a true story about a young pastor in Oklahoma. And he went to this church. It was a church that had been there for a long time. It had a good reputation. The church was going down. And so he said, man, I'm going to build this church up. I'm going to turn it around week after week. He just couldn't get things going. So he had one last idea, crazy idea. So he he put an ad in the newspaper when people used to do that, put it on Saturday. And here's what the ad said. He said, our church has died. <laughs> and he said, this tomorrow on Sunday, because the ad was on there on Sunday, he announced it to his church uh, the week before, put the ad in the paper on Saturday. And at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, we're going to have a funeral for our church. <laughs> and the whole community is invited. Well, it was a smaller community, and boy, that secured some interest. And he came up, you know, 30 minutes before the place was packed. And people had already gotten in there. And what they didn't know is there was a funeral, and the pastor had gotten a casket. And he had put it away in another room. And after everybody had left, after the service, he put the casket out and he covered it up with, with all of these flowers. So here's the casket with all the flowers. And the people were out there say, this is really a funeral. There's, there's a dead person here. And so the pastor got up and he gave this eulogy for the church. And he says, now... When I finish, you'll be able to pass by and see the remains of the dearly beloved that we're putting to rest today. And boy, the people, there was kind of a morbid excitement about, well, hey, who, who, who died for the church? You know, the church died. He's talking about the church dying. What's going to happen? He gave the eulogy. He prayed. He said, amen. He came up. He began to move the flowers. There was no funeral home there. Then he lifted the casket, uh, the lid of the casket. He invited the people to begin to walk down the aisles. And then the people began to come by and they look and they would pause. And very quietly they left. Very quietly there was not a word spoken. And they saw why the church had died. And that young pastor had put a mirror in that casket. And every person went by and they saw themselves. When I was in Bible college, I had a, our our rooms were used by Sunday school rooms too, the university. And I remember sitting in, and I worked at another church, but I was sitting in a class before it started. And they had a sign over there in one of the Sunday school rooms. And it was a large classroom. 
And he said, uh, what would you do? The Sunday school teacher put it up, said, what would you do if every person in this class, what would our church be like if every person in this class were just like you? And I wrote it down. It spoke to me. I wasn't attending Highland Park, and then I did for a year. But then I went to some other churches. I thought, that, that is a powerful question. What, what would my church be like if everybody was just like me? What would friendship be like if everybody was just like you? Just to limit it to the text today in consideration. And then in, in, in motivation. We must be intentional about coming to church and what we do. This is eternal business. And it's not just about reaching lost people. That's our mission. But it's also about equipping. There's some care for the saints that must happen. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Thank you for listening.